Welcome to the Tej Talks Podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Tej Talks podcast. Now, it's been a minute. It's been a hot minute since I have been doing podcasts. Uh, these are going to be the last set of kind of property-only podcasts before I transition Tej Talks into something more interesting and more different because I am... Uh, yeah, I'm pretty bored of property. Talking about property, to be fair, it's the same old shit over and over again. Um, <laughs> I, I kid, I kid, sort of, sort of. Um, but yeah, I'm transitioning to something a lot more interesting. Um, uh, maybe a little rebrand. Eh, don't worry, the yellow's still there. It's still Tej Talks. It is a trademark now, so yep. However, I'm going to be transforming to kind of more conversations and more about just living and being better and uh, performance and business and entrepreneurship and ideas and philosophy and all sorts of stuff. I haven't really announced this before, uh, but yeah, it's happening. It is happening. I've also injured my shoulder again, which really put me out for a good two or three weeks, uh, sort of week three, coming up to week three now. So I'm getting better. Thank you for asking. Uh, today's podcast, I'm talking to Ellie about property and, and we actually focus quite a bit on the transition between, you know, being employed for a long, long time, maybe why she didn't leave that employment earlier and then how she transitioned into being full time in property development property investing, what she's doing, how she's doing it, and tips for people who are starting out and who are looking to make that change into going full-time and some things you should maybe consider and have, you know, set ready so you can transition effectively. In addition, uh, please, you know, go to tejsing.xyz.xyz, baby, tejsing.xyz, and book in a free strategy call. 30-minute free strategy call. Let's talk about your goals. Let's talk about your aims. Let's see how I can help. And let's see if, you know, anything that I offer can actually help you get where you need to be. Ellie, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Thanks, Tej. So we finally got here because I think um, the listeners uh, may not know, but we've kind of been going back and forth <laughs> for, um, for a, I'd say, a few weeks now. I think I injured my shoulder. I was off. Your desk exploded, which yeah. is a lot more interesting um, and dramatic than my story. <laughs> Um, and uh, we're finally here to record this. Now, I was introduced to you by Millie, Posting and Property, our, our mutual friend who does a lot on social media and is and is part of my community. And she said, you have to interview Ellie. She's amazing. You love her story. She's such a good communicator. I was like, cool, whatever. I, I trust you, Millie. Let's, let's do it. So we're going to talk about property today. We're going to talk about your transition from being employed in a, a property sector into you know running your own property business um, at the same time as having a baby and managing all of this and the, just that whole kind of transition period and kind of where you're at now, maybe some of the deals that you've done and what you're looking to achieve. But before we get to all of that, when did you first have an inkling or an idea that you wanted to be in property in some shape or form? Oh, do you know, I've always wanted to be in property. So um, I'm... I'm knocking on the door of 40 now. Um, but I actually bought my first property when I was 18. Um, at the time you could get a hundred percent mortgage and, you know, I was looking at at renting or purchasing and things like that. And I was really interested in property. So I bought that property, um, lived in that property and I've rented that out and then sort of scaled up from there only on such a small scale. Um, my initial, goal when I was a, a a young girl was I wanted to be a builder um, 
that was like my thing. I really wanted to be like a, a full on builder, but at the time, you know, just girls weren't weren't tradespeople. That that just didn't happen. So from me, I I bought a property, um, and then I went into the traditional sort of I suppose stereotypical female route of of lettings to be in the property industry as such. Hmm. And you know. When you were younger, um, and I know you were saying that obviously it's not it's not stereotypical. It's not common for women to be builders and to be trades. And uh, you know, unfortunately, I don't think it's changed a huge amount. No. Um, you know, I've met hundreds of builders, and I've met three of them were women. So, you know, it, it's a, the, the statistics is like it's huge. Um, it's hugely weighted in, in favor of one way. And I mean, why do you think you wanted to be a builder what, what was it about that job when you were younger that attracted you um I think it was about sort of creating something from from nothing you know build, building something as such um and also I just I loved property um it coming from nothing to something and then b- building an empire and doing something practical I mean I am literally the clumsiest person in the world so it probably wouldn't <laughs> be it probably wouldn't have been a good match but in my head that seemed like a a great idea um yeah I just think I wanted to do something a bit more practical you know a a lot of um sort of girls who I went to school with and things at the time wanted to do something practical so they wanted to be a hairdresser and a beautician which obviously there's absolutely nothing wrong with that but I wanted to go more like the sort of heavy duty side but yeah as I say I went more sort of sales and 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 took a lettings role to, to get into the industry and you know you worked in lettings for 15 years is that yes. right yes that's right and well I suppose what kept you there for so long because your initial sort of when you were like a child was wanting to be a builder to create stuff build stuff but then in lettings I suppose you don't I mean you're creating tenancies but I suppose you're not yeah. like you're not like create there's no creativity as such there's no, no. like building so what kept you in there for so long? Um, I can, without a doubt, say um, confidence and I had the wrong people around me. Um, I sort of shared my views with, with people around me of, you know, I want to go on and I want to build houses. I want to design houses. I want to, I even if I'm not the physical builder, you know, I want to be the developer. I want to create these. And, you know, some of the people I had around me sort of laughed at me and said, well, what, what are you going to do? You're going to draw those, with, draw the buildings with your own crayons? Um <laughs> And I think that knocks your confidence and you sort of think, oh, you know, maybe this is just like a pipe dream. Um, and I've got a corporate career and I earn really good money. And actually, I, I kind of enjoy what I'm doing. So I'll climb this ladder. And I think that kept me in there because I still had, you know, a little bit of at the time I thought I was really in the property industry. And um, I think we'll go on and talk about it. But compared to what I'm doing now I I really wasn't um I was just scratching the surface so yeah I think that for me the confidence and the the people you've got around you can make a massive difference yeah I agree and and the confidence and the people around you kind of becomes a a, like a chicken and egg because it's like if you have good people around you you can always get the confidence to then you know do something but if you've got bad people around you it can destroy the confidence but if you've got decent people but maybe no confidence like they kind of affect each other in in so many ways and you know what that's probably the most common answer to sort of that kind of question as to you know why didn't you do it earlier or what's stopping you right now it's always like you know for example if you you know if you're surrounded you want to be an athlete but you're surrounded by people who are not athletes who are the total opposite sit on the sofa all day eating crisps 
you're going to look around and say, oh, well, this is the norm. This is sort of the, this is the population of the population. Okay. Well, I suppose I shouldn't, you know, go out and be on the track training every day. You know, this is yeah. the norm. If, if you're not surrounded by millionaires or people who own successful businesses or people who, you know, do what you want to do, you're going to look around and say, oh, okay, well, this is my world and this is what I'm surrounded by. Like, as you know, now, when we get to a place where we are surrounded by people like that, who are doing stuff we want to do, doing better stuff, it becomes the norm. And you're like, yeah, everyone does this, right? And then, it, whereas if you go speak to someone, just pluck someone out of an office in central London and look at their network, it would be the total opposite of ours, just because we're in these circles now. So I totally understand why. And sometimes it just takes that break through it to then get to a different network, get to a different level of understanding, which obviously you did. And, you know, working in Lettings for, for 15 years, I mean, and I know you, you quit not too long ago. I mean, what was the single biggest change that you saw in the Lettings market, whether it's actually in running an agency or even in with tenants or anything at all from when you started to when you quit? So for me, the, the biggest change, you've got obviously more legislation and, and more regulation and things like that, that that come in every every month, every quarter, every year in lettings. And every month, every quarter, every year, somebody's having a panic about it. The, the tenant fee ban, the deregulation act, oh my God, this is going to crash the whole lettings industry. And it never does. Things just adapt, you know. It, the, the tenant fee ban, there was so much chaos around that in England, but it had been in Scotland for, for years before and they still have a, a, a rental market. So... The, the the change I saw was things like that legislation and things, but the, the changes, the things that didn't change was the, the chaos that surrounds that and the negativity that surrounds that and how a lot of businesses and people in the industry fail to change. So they change with the legislation, but there's lots of technology. There's there's so much that can be done and, and a lot of businesses just, just fail to do that. And you know, we all see the stories of the, you know, what do you call them, sort of nightmare landlords, terrible landlords. And that is the minority, not the mi- the majority, but unfortunately they get shouted about the most. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think legislation is definitely something that, at least in my sort of three or four years, has changed every year, every quarter. Like you said, yeah. I mean, you only need to be in the business for such a short time to see that just like, oh, you know, this this government, they just it's just how it is. And I totally agree with you. It is the minority, but you know, it makes, it makes the front page of the daily mail, you know, it makes good reading for people with small IQs. So, I mean, what can you do? It's kind of, it's always going to be like that. No matter what, there's always going to be one landlord who represents everyone. And it's like, uh, yeah, that's definitely not how my houses are. No. So, you know, I mentioned before that there's going to be that sort of, that point that I suppose punctures your reality or your normality you know, of being surrounded by certain people and maybe lacking confidence, you know, what was the trigger? What kind of in, in your head made you say, right, I'm done with this. I'm doing my own thing. Um, I, I've worked for smaller family run businesses and I've looked, I've worked for larger sort of SMEs. Um, and it, it is the same. It is the same. You know, you're not in control of your own destiny. You see some things and the, there's things that you love and you enjoy and some things that you really don't. And, I was watching people building portfolios and, and doing the things that I wanted to do, you know, via social media. Um, I took myself off on some courses and things. And I think I started to build my confidence and I changed my network that I was sort of surrounded with. And my my partner, Brett, who is my, my business partner as well, 
was just so fundamental in the change. You know, I sat down and said to him, look, I'm pregnant. I'm working all these hours in, in this sort of corporate world, which I do enjoy my job, but I really want to do that. Like that over there, that property investing, property development, like that's what I've always wanted to do. And, and, you know, work life balance and I'm going to be a mum and things that I really want to do that. And I, I was a bit nervous about it. You know, we're in the middle of COVID. I was sort of like seven months pregnant. Um, everything's changing. We'd moved into a, a property that we were going to do up, um, knocked it down to, to sort of rebuild it and then found out I was pregnant. So it was kind of like the perfect storm, but I thought, do you know, what? I'm, I'm going to broach this and, and, Brett sort of said, okay, well, why aren't you doing it? If that's what you really, really want to do, and that's what you would love to do, and you think that we, you, you've got a better work-life balance, and he's a chartered accountant, so obviously, don't get me wrong, this was backed up with sort of 55 spreadsheets. <laughs> um, but he's like, you know, if you think you can do this and you can make this happen, why are you not doing it? Let's do it. And having that support and that sort of, you know, attitude and then someone going off and helping you with the research and putting in place a business plan so we've got actual targets metrics things to work to and saying okay this is what we're going to do let's do it then someone going oh don't be ridiculous what are you going to do go and draw these houses with your crayons I mean that like I'm just in a different world to what I was back then Mm, I love that and I think sometimes it does take a person sort of giving you a kick or kind of giving you the confidence and you know him kind of saying well why aren't you doing it then that that's confidence like not just like oh I support you go for it that's kind of the confidence where he's saying yeah what like you can do this that's not even a question the question is why aren't you doing it yeah kind of way they said that and like I think everyone needs something like that at at various points in life whether it's your alarm in the morning to kick you up out of bed whether it's someone would say to you you know what was your productivity being like whether it's a mentor whether it's you know someone to keep you accountable you're going gym every morning you know like that I think is so vital. And I think until we look back at that moment, we don't realize, ah, that, that was the trigger that kind of tipped me over and then caused everything to snowball. Now, when you're making a decision like this in COVID with everything going on and the fact that, you know, during COVID, nice to have a solid income kind of just coming in because it's like, uh, should we start a new business? Is this a recession? Is this a bubble? Is it crashing? Like it, it's just chaos. Um, although it feels like more chaos now to be fair in the markets, but, uh, you know, what sort of, and I know you say it was backed up by some spreadsheets, but what sort of, um, tangible things should people be considering when they're thinking about quitting their job, losing their income and starting their own business? What sort of safety things or, or, or money in the bank, you know, that's what, what should people have to protect themselves and do it safely? Yeah. So, so in, from my point of view, you know, we sat down and worked out our finances, you know, and it depends what you're willing to do in life. You know, I had a really good job. I had a fantastic salary. And like you say, it's all, it's, you know, nothing's guaranteed in life, but you've got this money coming in every month. So to give that up, you know, we sort of sat down and, um, um, Brett sort of said, okay, well, this is our, our, what we have to pay every month. These are our luxuries. Like you say, you know, things like the gym and, and stuff like this, you know, we can get rid of that if we need to. So this is what we have to have coming in. How are you going to make that as a minimum? And then anything else above that, we're building the business. We're building our career. So from my point of view, I sat down and worked out what to, what was the absolute minimum I had to bring in every month for 12 months to make sure we could pay everything. And how was I going to do that as an absolute minimum? 
along with a little bit of savings in the bank to make it happen. You know, if you're going to just quit your job tomorrow with no plan, no metrics, no targets, no nothing, I, in my opinion, I think you'd find that quite difficult. Whereas I had a very clear vision plan of what I wanted to do, how much I needed to bring in as a month, as a minimum, and then where I wanted to build from there and what I wanted to go on and start earning to replace my salary and then, you know, growing from there. So from my point of view, yes, you do need a bit of savings. It doesn't need to be huge and it doesn't need to be immense, but you do need a little bit to cover your outgoings in terms of actually buying properties, um, developing properties, flipping properties. A lot of that you can do through private investments if you do the right things to build your network. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well said. And, you know, everyone's situation is different. You know, someone's going to have a different number than you, different number Mm. than me. They're going to have a different sort of mental state they need to be in in order to achieve, you know, the kind of similar thing or quit in their job. And when you did quit your job and you were then kind of like, okay, I'm out of here. Uh, I've got a, now I've got a business that I need to do. Um, at that moment, was it scary? How did it feel? Oh my God. Yeah. I was really excited about, you know, hopefully I'm going to achieve what I've set out to achieve I've got all these targets I've got all these metrics but that doesn't bring you in any money so it will in the future and as long as you do everything and and you make it work that will but it's still terrifying because you still think okay at the end of the month I need to pay the mortgage I need to pay all the bills you know even just run the car buy the food things like that you can cut back but only to a certain extent so I was really excited and, and really motivated to make things happen but also still really really nervous of I've actually now got to go and do it. I can't just talk about it. And for a long time in my mind, I had the wrong mindset thinking it's just a dream. So I had to really push that out of my mind and be like, no, this is now your life. Like you've got to go and make this shit happen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's that push that sometimes, well, most of the time comes from inside us that says, look, it's a situation we're in. We've got a business plan, you know, less execute. And a a common uh, theme when people start out is, oh, I don't know what strategy to do. You know, I, I don't know, like, should I do rent to rent? Should I do deal sourcing? Should I... How did you decide? I know you mentioned maybe you went on some courses. How did you decide like what you're going to start with? What was it based on? So I've got a couple of rental properties already. Um, so our main strategy is the BRRR our strategy um so buying to add to our portfolio but looking to do those up and and pull finance back out of those so that is our main strategy and and what most of our targets and our metrics were around but then we sort of started looking at things and and my ideal sort of business and when when I sort of looked at this when I was younger and things like this was, was to build houses so we started sort of looking at land and things like that and speaking with going on courses they're like have your strategy this is your strategy don't deviate now that's great and that might work for some people but our strategy has been to start with the building of the portfolio and and pulling finance out of that but also how are we going to make money in property and what do we enjoy so we're our main strategy of the bread and butter of the portfolio yes is to replace my income but then the other things are actually to grow the business so we've got um some land that we're looking to to develop we've got um a property that we're purchasing at the moment to rent out that's got a plot on the side that we're looking to build some flats on um we're just negotiating with somebody else about another old bungalow that we're looking to potentially knock down and build some properties on there so that wasn't necessarily our initial main strategy but as those opportunities have come up 
and we've looked at them, we've thought actually that would work really, really well for our business. So for all I'm telling telling people to have a metrics and have your targets, which we have got, don't be so, so focused on that that you lose other opportunities. Mm, yeah, I agree. I think it's nice to have a toolbox. So it's kind of like, yeah, have every strategy, you know, and maybe have some core ones like, yep, I'm going to flip it. I'm going to BRR it. But if I walk in and like, huh, this could be a really good exchange with delayed completion. This could be yeah. a really good assisted sale. Kind of have it there to talk about with the vendor and to kind of, yeah, just to be on your toolkit. Because, you know, a lot of these strategies like, you know, assisted sale are so rare, so difficult to get that actually, you know, yes, you, making it your sole strategy is probably going to be tricky. Yeah. Um, you're probably going to miss out on some stuff. And so obviously you've had the rental property, so you, you kind of understood a bit what was going on, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what was your first deal like, you know, after quitting and going full-time into property? Do you know, it was, uh, I was ecstatic. I was buzzing, but I was really, really nervous. And it's that sort of, um, I don't know if I'd go so far to say that it is imposter syndrome, but it is that sort of little voice. And, you know, if anyone's followed me on social media, they know that I, I say about Gordon and Gordon's this little voice in my head who sometimes goes, you can't do it. And I'm like, Gordon, do one. We're doing this. Um, you know, you're like, yes, this is really exciting. and It's amazing. And I'm actually being a property developer and a property investor. And wow. But then you've got Gordon going, are you really? Have you thought this through? What about this? What about that? And you think, no, no. No, no, I'm going to stay with my excitement. I know my numbers work. I know I've done my research. I know this is what I can do. So exciting, nerve wracking, but you've got to stay focused. Mm, yeah, definitely. And, you know, going full time into property, did you find that you had more time or it kind of felt like you had less time? Um, A little bit of both, if I'm honest, because... I literally went full time into property and then had a baby within weeks. So, it, yeah, like I say, baby, we had our house knocked down. Um, I'd gone full time in property. I mean, is that brave or madness? I don't know. Um, in some ways, I felt like I had more time. Um, but in other ways, I could have filled up my time 10 times over. So it was just about what is really urgent and what is actually important and am I just filling the time because I feel guilty that I'm not working because I used to work so many hours and am I just doing nothing jobs or really do I need to sit down for 20-25 hours a week and actually really really make that time count so on one hand yes I think I felt like I had loads of time and I had to fill it up and on the other hand the time that I was using I was using really 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 productively Mm, yeah, that makes sense. And then, you know, speaking about being productive, you know, I don't know from experience, but I understand babies can be quite time consuming. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, quite sort of attention zapping. How did you balance everything? Um, I, I, I've had a lot of support. I won't, I won't say I haven't. Um, you know, Brett, Brett's been brilliant. Um, and because we're in the business together, he sort of would, would pick up some things. You know, I, I do most of the, front facing things um dealing with the people sourcing the deals being on site things like that which is which is what i love which is what I, the buzz but a lot of the the background stuff brett 
does pick up um he's a chartered accountant he works full time um but he would pick that up on the evenings and then my parents my in-laws and things they have been brilliant they have um so that and now area my daughter's at nursery so i have had support to do that but yes it is a challenge when you know you know she's about to be dropped back by your parents or your in-laws or you've got to go and collect it from nursery and you think oh my god i'm like i'm literally in the swing of things i don't want to I don't want to stop, but you have to. And I, luckily with property, so much of it is flexible that you can pick it up, you know, on the evenings or on the weekends. And for me, the network that I've built has been phenomenal. People are so understanding um, and supportive that it's made it so much easier. Mm, yeah, I agree. And I think it, it is hard and balancing anything you know any aspect of life with any aspect of business there's it's always hard and i think i mean there's i suppose like we have to prioritize certain things right like um you know i think raising a child is probably a higher priority than than business yeah and i think sometimes we we have to like i think sometimes we struggle to accept that in order for one thing to go really well another thing might be affected a little bit um I think we just struggle with that as humans and as, you know, seeing someone on Instagram killing it with 10 babies, like balancing them on their head at the same time and like, you know, plastering a wall and you're just like, why is that not me? You know, Um, know, I I couldn't agree more. And, you know, this, this was me, you know, looking on social media in the very, very beginning and thinking, oh, well, why can't I make that happen? And, you know, why, why am I not doing that? And things like that, but I think we've all got to remember social media is fantastic and I love social media and it's brought me some great opportunities, but it's also people tend to highlight the good and, and not the bad or the stress or the, you know, a lot of that isn't on there. If people follow me on Instagram, you'll, you'll probably see like two or three times a week. My stories are me sat in the car with my laptop with Erin having a nap in the back where I've had to drive around for half an hour trying to get her to have a nap so that I know I can get on my laptop for an hour. So and listen, I'm not saying I'm great or anything like that, but I'm trying to keep it real as well because it is not always that easy. Last Monday, I had a Erin goes to nursery on a Monday. I had a day back to back viewings. You, you know, you and I were supposed to be meeting, and I was woke up so excited. Erin woke up with a cold. I thought, oh my gosh, took her to the nursery within an hour and a half. They rang me. Temperature's gone through the roof. Got the emergency doctor out, and you know, you have no choice. You are a mum. You have to be a mum, and you have to go and deal with that. Um, so then I, I've ended up backed up for the rest of the week trying to do everything in the evenings and weekends and then Brett's trying to have it airing on the evening so I can make everything happen that I was going to. And you, you do make it happen, but it's it's not easy. And I think people have to remember that even the people who are killing it are making a sacrifice somewhere. A hundred percent. And you know, the, the, the biggest people who are killing it, you know, we look at Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, or even people kind of, a, sort of slightly level below that, they are sacrificing something which a lot of people don't want to sacrifice, whether it's personal relationships, whether yeah. it's health, whether it's mental health. Like, And, I mean, a lot of them even talk about it and say, yeah, yeah, you know, I don't do anything fun. I just do business, 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 and people look up to that. And then like, there's there's just so much that we miss because as humans it's like we see the success. You know, if you, if you put a post on Instagram right now saying, secured, you know, the flip, sold it, 50 grand profit, your likes through the roof. You got a new car? put a picture on likes through the roof you actually share some value hey everyone um i had a really bad plaster in and here's how you can spot when the plaster's bad Eh, a couple of likes you know yeah eh, those thanks you know it's like 
what is wrong with society, man? You're dumb. Because it's like, yeah. it, it's all kind of like, yeah, it, it's kind of the wrong way. Um, but I think one of the benefits of property, um, and of course, everyone's in different stages and everyone has different requirements. But one of the big benefits of property, at least having a portfolio, um, or at least when you can make things as outsourced and as passive as possible, is that you can kind of afford to balance it your way. Um, you know, like if you've got enough money coming in from your portfolio and you're good, are you going to be fussed that you've had to take X many days or weeks off or, you know, you've lost a day of viewings because your daughter's ill? You know, <laughs> probably not, right? No, exactly. My, my sort of biggest thing is letting people down. You know, I don't want to have to cancel the, the meetings or anything like that. But like I say, if you... As long as you build a good enough network and you explain to people the situation, people are so supportive like and so understanding. And a lot of the, um, I suppose, anxiety, fear, whatever it is, it comes from within you. You know, and mm-hmm. I, I was sort of saying to people, I'm so sorry, I'm, I'm mortified. And a lot of people were coming back to me saying, don't worry, like these things happen. Like I, I need this by the end of the week or whatever. I didn't necessarily need it at, I don't know, you know, 10.30 today that's what we scheduled but look just get it to me else go and do what you need to do you need to sort your daughter and 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 things like that and social media oh you know i say this quite a bit social media shows like the you know the sexy side of property and don't get me wrong there's the offer accepted there's the put the property on the market you've had it staged and, and that is all you know that is sexy stuff but when you're walking around in the rain with the pram, with a, a rain cover on it, trying to get her into sleep so I can deliver my direct-to-vendor letters because, you know, I know someone in that street has got a vacant property and I know that his son's spoken to somebody at the pub who has said he might get rid of the property. That's not sexy. And you're right, if you put that on Instagram, people are like, mm, you're right, walking in the rain. Don't walk in the rain. Okay, but if I don't go and walk in the rain, I'm not going to make it happen. <laughs> this is true, this is true. And I think, like... Whether it's something we're hardwired or whether it's something that's been created with social media, it, it it's just like how we think. We don't see the bottom of the iceberg. We don't see the duck paddling fast. Even though we know they are, we just see the surface. We just see the result. Um, and, you know, you've kind of mentioned your network a bit. Um, you know, earlier on, we said that your network when you were in lettings was just not the right network. It wasn't no. conducive to where you are. Um Obviously, with COVID, you know, things are a bit more online. Now things are opening up, although I'd, I have to say the property networking scene face-to-face seems to have died. Um, mm. There really isn't much happening. And when it is, it's not very full. We had an event. We just stopped it because, it, you know, numbers just weren't coming in. Yeah. Um, even with, you know, big social media followings. How did you build your network slash how can people who are in a similar position to you were in, how can they build their network? My My biggest advice is... Be brave and just tell everyone what you're doing. You know, for me, when I first started, and don't get me wrong, I I have no huge portfolio. I am no property guru as we sit here a year on. But in the very beginning, I sort of had two rental properties and thought, oh, you know, I'm I'm nothing. Um, But I was like, you know, I'm going to be brave and I'm going to tell everybody. I've got a couple of rental properties. But in two years, this is where I want to be. By the end of 2024, this is my aim. This is what I'm trying to do. This is how I'm trying to do it. And you'd be surprised how many people are interested and sort of like, oh, tell me more. And, you know, or or saying to people, oh, I've seen what you're trying to do. Can you talk to me about that? And reaching out to people. So it's about being brave. And, you know, like we're saying, what you see on social media isn't it isn't always everything. 
So when I would be reaching out to people and sort of saying, it looks like you're doing this and it looks fantastic and that's great. You know, I, I connected with, with um, some women on LinkedIn and I, I was following them and I was like, oh my gosh, what you're doing is phenomenal. Um, would you mind talking to me? And, and a couple of them came back and said, no, of, of course not. We started somewhere. Let's have a chat. And um, I, I don't know if you if anyone follows them, but I spoke to Steph from the property duo um, and she was phenomenal. She was like, try this, try this. We've done this. We've done that. And and th- those girls are killing it. But they also keep it real and say, you know, but some days were hard. Some days were like, why are we doing this? And, you know, they, they put a post on last week about, you know, in the early days, a deal fell through and, you know, you'd be sat there and you'd be almost in tears. And a lot of people don't show that on social media. They just show the good. And then you sort of feel a bit afraid to reach out to them. But I think reach out to people to find out how they did it and also tell everybody what you're trying to do. Yeah, really good advice. And I think, yeah, telling everyone what you're doing at, at every stage is really important because, and I get the same like th- question back from everyone, all of my mentees all the time. I'm literally so bored of this response. Oh, but I'm just starting out and like, you know, I'm still learning and I'm just doing stuff. And, uh, and I'm like, listen, shut up. At the end of the day, there is someone who is one step behind you always. Yeah. There is someone who is five steps behind you. Now you might think, oh, I'm just sitting there on right move. Some people don't even know how to use right move. Some people don't even know you can click the STC filter to see stuff that's, um, sold STC that you might email the agent about and say, Hey, I know it's sold, but if it doesn't, give me a shout. There's a whole new lead gen avenue that you've opened for someone that you think, oh yeah, it's my daily thing. Or, or like you're going on viewings. P- people go on viewings and have no clue what they're looking at. Yeah. They see a crack in the wall. Oh my God, it's like, it's shaking. I'm leaving. It's like, mm, that's just a plaster crack. Like there's so much that you can show. Um, and I'd say that, especially on Instagram, um, uh, like it is a positive kind of supportive community with the right people. Um, there's a lot of weirdos, a lot of fake accounts, a lot of just idiots. But in the most of it, most people who have a profile and who are build, building a following are generally are quite nice. And I think you could message and, you know, sort of have a chat with or at least, you know, sort of follow their content and learn from it. Um, and so, Ellie, since you've been in property, uh, you know, and, and of course you've been in property pretty much starting in the pandemic and... Now we're sort of, you know, post-pandemic market crashing, global recession, you know, um, craziness. How have you found the market kind of since you started and and have you been able to find deals in this market? So we, I have found deals. I mean, we find it just as crazy as everybody else. You know, we have no... um, you know, magic fairy dust that says you do this and you will find deals. It's just been about speaking to people, um, you know, and some things that people think are deals, you look at them and you think, okay, that, that has, that's brilliant and that sounds exciting, but how are you going to make money from it? And this is all about making money and growing a business. So the market, I think, is crazy. Um, I put something out on my story last week saying, you know, do 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 people think the big crash um, is coming? And And I don't think it is. I think... Will it slow down? Is it slowing down? Um, yes. Do I think there'll be a huge crash? No. Um, do I think the market's mad compared to where it was a few years ago? Yes. But there are still people who are looking to sell and they want no hassle and, and, and no fuss and they don't want the 
putting it on the market and the 50 viewings within a week. They don't want all that foot, footfall through their house and things. So, yeah, it's definitely the market has been madness. But as long as you can keep a level head and be calm and not get caught up in a lot of the, the hype, I think you will be able to do very well at it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, it, it is still a str- I mean, are you seeing right now, so we're, we're recording this 18th of July, 2022, are you seeing, because I've heard reports, I haven't seen it, but I've heard reports that, you know, prices are becoming a little bit more sensible and there's a bit more stock. Um, I'm looking for my own residential house and I can confirm for me that is not happening at all right now. Um, are you seeing that at all in your market, Ellie? So where where we are sort of in the, the Bristol Bath market, we're not, I'm not seeing prices come down. Um, so, you know, when we're sort of saying that, you know, the prices are more, I don't know, more reasonable, um, more stable. I, I'm not seeing the prices come down, but we're certainly not seeing them increase like like we were um we had one deal that we've got going through down valued last week um because the valuer said within sort of three to six months they think that the market will stabilize if not decrease um we did challenge that with a with a lot of evidence and and you know they came back to us and sort of said you know okay well fine we'll jot this down as a mistake and and valued it you know what we were expecting um but there is a lot of talk that prices will decrease and more stock will come to the market and things will stabilise. I think that's probably what will happen. Do I think there'll be a huge crash? No. Uh, have I seen prices going down? No. Have I seen loads of stock coming to the market? No. Um, but we we are anticipating it will stabilise. That's so interesting with the valuer because yeah. like they've been saying the market's going to correct in six months for the past 29 years yeah um, they've been saying that we're in a bubble for the past five years it's just like it's just impossible to do their jobs um but it's so interesting they change the valuation because like i have never ever 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 in my life had or heard of or seen a valuer ever changing the value after giving it for, for many many reasons they don't do it so i have to congratulate you on that because well yeah, so they they came back and said that they were valuing the property at three two five as it sits today, but it, they had a projected forward market value in six months of three hundred. Now we went back with all the evidence that obviously we'd done our due diligence before offering. Of, of course we had. So you know I went to them with all the evidence and things that I had, and they sort of came back and said, "Oh yeah, sorry that 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 was a mistake," and and you know we'll we'll reinstate the valuation at three two five for a forward valuation as well. Um, so yeah, not quite sure what happened there, but we'll take it. I mean, that would be if that was me. That would be my proudest moment in property. <laughs> honestly, that would that would trump everything else because it's it just that you've basically done the impossible. You've done the unthinkable. You have got a risk valuer to change their mind. Like I, I don't even know what to say. I'm I'm actually elated because this gives me one percent more hope than I had before. Um, and I can tell people I know someone who has overturned evaluation. So, yeah, um, and yeah, I'm glad they did that because who can who can say what the market's gonna where where it's gonna be? And you know, I agree with you. Is it gonna be a crash? I don't think so. Is it gonna be a sort of correction, a little bump? Yeah, I mean, I think we need one. Yeah. Um, but you know, the government are just they keep doing things to keep inflating it and keep it so buoyant that I don't know if you know if we're going to even have a correction because they just keep sort of doing things to like keep inflating it, which is, yeah, which is, which is what it is. Um, 
And, you know, if we look forward, what are your, I believe you have a goal that you want to achieve by 2024. Tell me about that and tell me how you came to that. Yeah, so when when obviously I initially sat down and said, look, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this happen. Um, obviously, Brett being the accountant was like, yeah, do it. How are you going to do it? What's your target? How are you going to make it? So I had to sort of sit down and, and you know, work out my business plan and what I was going to do and, and how I was going to do it. Um, my initial aim by the end of, um, sorry, by the sort of end of the first quarter in 2023 was to have fully replaced my income from my corporate salary. And then off the back of that to build a four million pound property portfolio, which would then have the annuity income from the rentals. Alongside of that, we're looking to build properties that we've got through, going through planning at the moment and also to do some flips or, or, you know, if we're presented with any other opportunities along the way. But the four million pound property portfolio is is what I wanted to give us a fi- financial freedom from our corporate salaries. Um, and then, you know, Brett has a corporate um, career and he loves that. And that's that's great for him. But that just wasn't my vision and my passion so it's great to have the support but that's you know he he's always wanted to do that he trained as a chartered accountant but what I was looking to do through the business and having you know Brett working with me and supporting me to do it was to replace our incomes so that actually we have that work-life balance because you have the income you know you got your money working hard for you so you're not as working as hard to make your money so that actually we can enjoy a bit of life Mm, yeah I agree and you know property can give you that and yeah I think property is a fantastic tool to give you that and to allow that to happen um, and there's so many different ways in property that that can happen and I think when people start out like we mentioned earlier they can kind of get confused by oh my god like and he said she wants to have you know a portfolio of four million like oh I you know what do I need what do I want and I think people really need to base it off what works for them like you have you know you're basing it off what is it going to give me? And is that what I want? Okay, well, then that's the kind of target, you know, based off the math, the spreadsheet, the what does it give me? What life does it give me? Tangibly, what does that equal? Um, and I think people need to look at that instead of just saying, hmm, you know what? 10 grand a month is a nice round number. Let me just chuck that in there. But then actually looking at your outgoings or your dream outgoings and they're like sort of two or three grand a month and, you, you know, it's very easy to get caught up in here's my target, blah blah blah, instead of being like, Yeah, what do we need? What do I need? Yeah. And how does one get there? And that's kind of where we were at, you know. We were whilst we were both in our, our, our sort of corporate roles, you know, and the income that we had, we, we enjoyed life, like we worked hard and played hard. So that's that's great, but how do we you know, going full time into property, I won't have that income immediately. So how do I get back to that? And then we grow from there. So going to a four million pound property portfolio would be sort of our target figure. Do we stop there? No, of course we don't. But that will take us to the the sort of level of lifestyle that we we are looking for to then grow even further from there. So it's it's all about, for us, it was all about work-life balance, financial freedom, and, and just being happy, you know, and not getting up and doing the same thing for 15 years because that's what I've done. And, you know, I, without being arrogant or big-headed, I'm, I'm relatively good at it. And, yes, I do kind of enjoy it, but do I love it? No. Is it bringing me a huge sense of fulfillment? 
no do I agree with everything that that's going on in in a, a business in the industry and anything like that no so do I want to go and do something where I'm in more con- in control of that and, and have a bit more balance yes and you know you have to in my opinion work your figures back from there yeah and life is too short to do something that you don't love yes um, there's a lot of mediocrity in life and businesses and people you meet life is just too short to to have the thing you spend most of your time at which is business your job to be something you don't love so yeah uh, is there a software or an app or something that you just can't live without in your business um so for us a, a lot of it has been a bit of trial and error um so i'd say at the moment i wouldn't want to pin everything on on something for me social media has been phenomenal instagram and linkedin i've got a load of opportunities from in terms of actual software and day-to-day running of the business we've been trying different things so i don't want to hugely recommend anything right here right now <laughs> and somebody you know goes off and gets it and goes well that's a load of rubbish and i think well, i'm still trialing it at the moment so yeah for me to, to run a successful property business you have to be on social media and I worked with Millie from Posting Property um, and the stuff that we did together really sort of brought that home to me. If you're not on social media and you're not telling everybody what you're doing, how on earth do you expect people to know? I agree. You know, unless you have a little black book of contacts or you've got a rich family or friends, you know, like it's just very hard to raise money that way. And even if you do have that, they still need to trust you and see what you're yeah. doing and know what you're doing and see your online CV, which is, you know, your your social media profile. You know, when you meet someone, when everyone goes online. Oh, you're on this company. Oh, what's the company called? Let me Google it. Everyone Googles everything. So especially nowadays where like physical networking seems to have dried up, it's like it's so important. And Millie is great at social media. Again, that's why I've invited her in my community as sort of like the head of social media to give advice to people and help people because she knows what she's doing and I've seen all the people she's worked with like you and then and, and the kind of success that comes from it so yeah I, I totally agree and uh you wanted to be a builder when yes. you were younger um how have you found working with builders because I absolutely fucking hate them all so how have you found it do you know what and if you'd have asked me maybe 18 months ago I would have said to you exactly the same thing um we have found a great builder and we have literally hung on to them for dear life um but i think they're from what my experience you know not to to stereotype all of them but from my experience it's not been a great experience um i think you have to set out exactly what you want from day one what is your project plan what are they going to do when they're going to do it what are you going to do and make sure you know at what point you're expected to do what you're going to do and follow it through. And if they're not on track, you have to be on top of them. And this is what I say to you about the, you know, the the sexy side of property. Okay, well, the sexy side is you took it from there to there. The, the unsexy side is you're stood in the mud, in the rain, like, why the hell haven't you done that? You're now costing me money. This is behind. Come on. When is it going to be done? And then making sure you're revisiting that. So, yeah, I, I have found it a challenge. An actual builder, not a problem. We had the, the, the biggest problem we had was with, with a plumber. Um, you know, we had every excuse from, oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't there this weekend. My wife went on a hen do. I mean, what the hell has that got to do with my build? <sighs> you know, to, I'll be there, I'll be there, and, and I'm, I'm stood on site and they're not turning up. So tr- trades people in general, we've had a lot of problems, but once we've found good ones, we've hung on to them for dear life. 
Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I'm, I'm hanging on to mine for dear life. Um, and I found one good one out of, yeah, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of trash. Yeah. Um, it's For me, it's like the hardest part of property. Like the legal part, I love, I understand it. It's fascinating. Everything else, everything else is just like patience or just like, oh, you're annoying. You know, land reg taking four months to like, you know, whatever. And they're still accepting checks and pound coins. Yeah. Absolute weirdos, dinosaurs. Um, that's just like, okay, you're stupid. I get it. But like with builders, it's like the riskiest part of your development, the potentially most expensive part of your development to fix, the part where you could actually save the most money and probably make the most money. And you have to work with um, a, a sector of business where the culture is just so as it is. And so many people go blind into refurbs and, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Some people say, oh, you know what, Ted, I'm going to, I'm going to learn on the job. I kind of say, okay, go for it. But learning on the job when you're an employee or when you're, you know, creating, when you're designing some artwork is cool. But when you're learning on the job where something is going to cost you tens of thousands of pounds um, and it can go very, very wrong and you don't have a clue what's actually happening is pretty freaking risky. What are your thoughts on getting formal education, whether this is YouTube, whether it's actually doing it properly, whatever, on construction versus just being like, right, I'm going to find a builder, do a reefer, bish, bosh, bash, homes under the hammer, we're done. Madness. Um, (laughs) (laughs) In my opinion, definitely be brave. Go for it. You know, listen, I'm a massive advocate of like, let's, let's make shit happen. Let's not just talk about it. Let's, let's go do this. But also, you have to research, research, research. You know, if you find a builder and you think that they're good, that's phenomenal. Go and check their work. Go and speak to their previous customers and not just the ones that they tell you to go and speak to or the work that they tell you to go and check. You know, if, if you think, um, you know, somebody comes along and an agent says to you, buy this, put in 50 grand, you'll get all the work done for 50 grand. You, you're full out going to that point, so I don't know, 400 grand and you're going to make 500. I, people say this to me all the time they're like it's amazing I'm like okay and what did the builder say when you asked them about how much the works were going to be or when you looked at the research of what sold in the area for 500 grand how many properties could you see when you went and had a look around the area what did you think so yes absolutely learn on the job in terms of go and do it and make shit happen but do your research first because you're right once you're in it and you've instructed a builder if they don't do it right or they don't turn up every month you're losing money every day you're losing money you're losing reputation you're you're losing momentum so do it but do your goddamn research before you start yeah i I, I, million percent agree with you i've had i've had people come on like you know, free video calls on me and say, oh, Ted, you know, this builder did me in for 40, 50 grand. And like, you know, I didn't know what I was doing on the refurb and I, I don't know how to talk to builders, but you know what? Um, I said, look, I, I was pretty blunt. I said, look, I can't help you in this, in this five minute call. But if you, if you pay me X, right, if you do some education, if you go on these YouTube videos, if you put some time and money into this, hire a project manager, cause you're clearly not very good at this. I'm not very good at managing stuff. I know I'm not. So I always use a PM or a builder. Like I am, me and builders doesn't work. Um, and he said, no, um, I thought I'd just find a builder and just, you know, yeah, like I just do it properly this time. I was like, yeah, but you don't know any different to what you did before and you fucked it up. So how is it going to get better? So I think there's a lot of like, oh, I don't want to spend money on this, but then I'll risk tens of thousands of pounds on this or like, oh, YouTube videos. Nah, 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 I'll be fine. And it's like, 
it's what you said. It's just madness and many other words, which I won't say. No, um, and it's when people see people say that thing, like exactly what you've just said. It's all right. I'm going to do it properly this time. Okay, but did you think you weren't doing it properly last time? Because if you thought you weren't doing it properly last time, then that's madness. But you probably thought you were doing it properly last time. And look how wrong it went. So you obviously have the best intentions, but learn from that. And, you know, I've project managed most of the things that we've done. And I'm not saying I'm amazing at it. But when people say, I don't want to hire a project manager or I don't want to pay that, you know, it's not in the budget or things like that. Okay, but what could you lose if you don't? So as long as you factored that in and you've got the contingency, do you know what? You go for it and you're happy to lose that money. You go for it. But actually... If you think you're going to have to pay a project manager, I don't know, this is crazy numbers, but 10 grand, but you'd get it all wrong. And then you're like you say, you're in the hole with your builder for 50 grand. You should have just paid the project manager. Do your research. Have a plan. Yeah. Do your research. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, because the chances of getting it wrong are very high. Yes. Um, and it's not, it, sometimes it's not going to be your, well, it's always our fault, but sometimes it's going to be like, you know, you didn't have the knowledge, therefore someone pulled the wool over your eyes or you didn't have the knowledge. So you didn't get the right builder. And so, and it's very like with say conveyancing, generally speaking, most listers are going to do the right thing. They've got insurance as a different type of job, different type of culture, everything. Whereas when you're on a refurb, there's more chance of it going wrong. I think than it going right. Even when you're experienced, like there's just, it's so easy to do it wrongly and disguise it as done right. Um, you know, it's like mechanics. If you don't have a clue about an engine and you go in for an oil change and a filter change and, you know, blah, 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 for a service, they could do nothing. They could come at you, engine could come out and they could say, oh, yeah, it's all done, brand new oil in there. Oh, the one before was so dirty. It's, it's running smooth. And because of that placebo effect, you're going to say, oh, car's running smooth, isn't it? When nothing's been done. Yeah. Because yeah, it's so easy to do that because you don't know. So, yeah, absolute madness. Do your research. Do your research. And me saying that, a lot of that comes from experience. Don't think I haven't made mistakes. You know, I've made mistakes and gone, oh, shit, I'm not going to do that again. So I I, I say this from experience. Absolutely. Uh, This brings us to the close of the podcast. My last question for you is, if you could have dinner with any up to three people, dead or alive, who would it be and why um oh this is a good one um i think grant gooding yeah um i would say rich have you ever 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 read um rich dad poor dad uh, Robert Kiyosaki. I haven't read it. I refuse to, but I know the author. Yet. Yeah, Robert Kiyosaki, because I agree with so much that's in his book and so much he said, but I have a lot of questions around it. So definitely him as well. And the Queen. In that would, I mean, the Queen and Grant Cardone are the total opposites. Yeah. Like, he'd be sitting there like, yo, Lizzie, you got to 10x your shit, man. She'd be like, oh, well, Grant, I don't need to. I'm the richest woman in England. And then like it'd just be and you and Robert would be having like a proper chat about everything. It would be nuts. I want to see this. I want to be the waiter. Yeah. In this dinner. Um, this is my thing because I think I think the Queen's got a lot more about her than people think she has. Potentially, yeah. <laughs> 
So, Eddie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I will put all your uh, social details, etc., in the show notes. So, people want to follow you, they should go and follow you, or they want to say hi or find out what you're up to, they can. And yeah, so thanks so much for coming on the podcast. No, thank you for having me. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.